0: I'm proud. I'm proud to say I'm a Florida State Seminole. Hello, Noel Nation. Hi, this is Chris Sharp, your host here on the Believe in FSU football podcast. And this is episode two, the Wake Forest Review. And Florida State, unfortunately, fell 22 to 20 in this game at Wake Forest. And we're going to get into the 10 things that I took away from this game. Now, Believe is the number one sports podcast network. And every episode, I'll provide insight into all things Florida State football. So once again, if you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com. And we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and the TuneIn app as well. And you can follow me on social media on Twitter at underscore chris sharp underscore. And don't forget, use the hashtag BelieveFSU and you can get your questions answered on air. So, going into this game, Florida State was on the road at Wake Forest. In the preview, I mentioned how Sage Surratt, the wide receiver for Wake Forest was a very crucial matchup in that he's one of the best receivers in the ACC, and he proved that. with with He had 150 yards in the first half, so he definitely proved that early on. Stanford Samuels third; he tried his best in the first half, but he got burned a couple times. Now in the second half, they made some adjustments, maybe gave him some more safety help over the top, and Samuels also just made a couple plays on the ball as well and stepped his game up. But Sage Surat, him on, on offense for Wake Forest, he was a very crucial impact in the first half. But we're going to start off with a quarterback play for FSU. So James Blackman, he started the entire game. He went all the way through. There was no rotation. And going into the game, I agreed with that and thinking that, hey, if a quarterback gets a flow, that they should stay in the game. Now, did Blackman necessarily have a great flow? Well, he was 27 for 43 for 280 yards, and he had two touchdowns and one interception. But he didn't really have a great flow the entire game. He would have a, I think he had about two or three really solid drives and he made a couple of plays trying to extend out for first downs, but he just kept, he kept coming up short in different situations, whether it was an incomplete pass here, a drop ball by a wide receiver, or even on the I don't know, a one third down play where he scrambled for an apparent first down, but he was actually down two yards short of the markers due to his knee hitting the ground first. So, all in all, he, had, he averaged 6.5 yards per pass, so not a great average. Kind of a lot of short deacon dunk plays, and he just couldn't really hit the big plays down the field besides that one 36-yard touchdown to Tamori to, to Terry, So he had that one touchdown down the field, but besides that, and also a deep shot that gave neighbors for 27 yards on a nice RPO fake where Neighbors slipped out down the field. But besides those two big throws down the field, there wasn't too many deep shots. And in this offense, especially with Cam Akers going how he was, Deep shots would have, should have been open because off the play action, you should have had plenty of opportunities to hit a re- receiver down the field. But for whatever reason, Blackman just cannot connect down the field. And that just might be the story of James Blackman, honestly. He just might be – you can call it a curse, you can call it bad luck, whatever it is, but he, sometimes he's very close to having great success and then things just don't go his way. And that last drive at the end of the game with 36 seconds left, that was pretty evident where he dropped a snap in the first possession and then the ball slipped out of his hand the next, uh, the, the next play. And, he up, and the game was over after that, so James Blackman, he he just, I don't know, I, I appreciate Coach Taggart actually giving him a shot and keeping him in the full game, because he wasn't d- dreadful the entire game, there's a, there's a narrative out there that he was awful, but he did lead a couple good scoring drives, and really they could have had one right after halftime if Kim Akers hadn't have fumbled on heading into the second half, uh, in the third quarter, but all in all, there's several times where he did extend plays, or about one touchdown to Kmakers in the first half. He extended, uh, Blackman stepped up in the pocket, rolled out to his left, and it found makers down for a 19 yard touchdown pass. And there's a couple other plays where, really, maybe Hawkman, I mean, sorry, not Hawkman, excuse me, sorry, maybe Alex Hornberg wouldn't have made that play. But it, so, all in all, if, if, there's, if Blackman can't hit the deep passes, then. He might just have to sit on the bench, really. And even Alex Hornibrook, I feel like Hornig- Hornibrook might be a better intermediate to short passing game. He might, be able, he might be able to manage that better. But we shall see. We shall see. Now, moving on, speaking of Cam Akers, which I mentioned earlier, he had an m- insane game. If Cam Akers, if he wants to, when he goes pro, he will use a lot of his footage for his draft film. So Cam had 30 rushes for 157 yards and one touchdown. He had four receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. Akers was averaging 5.2 yards per carry, and really, in the, especially in the first half, he was moving the offense by himself. It was a one-man wrecking crew, and he was get, finding the holes, breaking tackles, and he truly could not be stopped. He was almost g- getting a first down every two plays, and really Cam Akers was the catalyst for the entire offense throughout the entire game. Now, Wake Forest did adjust in the second half, and... They kind of started attacking and pressing, and keeping guys in the box more. They also attacked the football, and that kind of showed on one of the first drives of the second half where Florida State had an 11-play, 50-yard drive, and then Akers fumbled on the Wake Forest 12-yard line. He said in the postgame that he was trying to reach and extend for more yardage, and then the ball just got knocked out. But when you look at the replay, he kind of got stuck up in a pile. and He was on top of another player, and then he only had one arm in the football, and the defender kind of poked the ball out from behind. And that was a crucial play because that took away points off the board for Florida State. And even just a field goal there would have made a difference in this game because the final score was only a two-point loss for Florida State. So that one play right there, that was a huge impact. Now, one of the reasons Akers had a great day was actually because of the offensive line. Yes, the offensive line has been much maligned over the years. They haven't performed as well. But even, just, even with a lot of injuries tonight with Bavion Johnson going down, Brady Scott going down for a little bit as well, uh, the offensive line still played play pretty well, in my opinion. Now, pass protection was still a little bit shaky in some spots, and there were some procedure p- penalties, which always hurt, because you, c- you can avoid the pre-snap penalties. That's one thing you can't control is having the discipline to wait for the snap count and not be early off the ball. So you can't control that. And there was a couple of those plays, but despite having some backups in there and some really young players as well, the offensive line may- paved some holes for Kim Akers. They were kind of pushing Wake Forest back. Uh, Akers A lot of times, instead of being stopped in the backfield for two-yard losses or only a one-yard gain, Akers, the offensive line actually got a little bit of a push forward. And all Cam Akers needs is a little bit of daylight. He can find a nice hole. So we had Andrew Buscelli. He played at center. He had 63 snaps when on Johnson went down. Some of his snaps from center were, were a little bit off. But besides that, he blocked pretty well. Darius Washington, a freshman, he was in that left tackle a lot, and he got beat by bashing the defense in for Wake Forest. He got beat a couple times, and there was one sack that really was his fault as well, but he still played decently well with 54 snaps, and that's really crucial because we need some more tackles on this roster. The tackle depth is not great at all, and the talent needs to isn't great either, so... Having some of these young players come in and get meaningful reps, that'll hopefully help them develop even faster. So maybe, whether it's this season or next season, they'll hopefully be ready and be able to produce at a higher clip. So he had 54 snaps, and then Cole Minshew had 58 snaps. It's really good for him to get the whole snaps back after having a neck injury for a while. It's good to see him out there. And overall, it was a pretty decent performance from the offensive line. They still give some pressure occasionally, but... That's kind of what you get and get with this team. So overall, they didn't let the Wake Forest defense totally wreck shop, and they did a good job performing. Now, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, um, the defense had a good job in forcing five field goal attempts on the night. So that was a really good job of the defense. And they kind of gave up a lot of yardage, but it really wasn't. They gave a lot of yardage between the 20s, but they held down. They bunkered down in the red zone, which is, all, which is really, really one of the most crucial things. And that kept Florida State in the game because if Wake Forest even scores one or even two more touchdowns, this game might end up being a blowout, honestly, because Florida State wasn't scoring at a high rate or at a high clip. And Wake Forest, if they could have gotten a touchdown on the first drive or even the second drive, that game could have been over in half. So good job of the defense forcing turnovers. Uh, Wake was only 6-19 on third down. And they, but, and they really kind of stifled them for most of the second half as well. It was just in the fourth quarter, even early on in the game, there were some explosive plays to the receivers to Scotty Washington and Sage Surratt. There was a couple of explosive plays to those guys that really impacted the game. And they also let Carney go off for a little bit in the red zone when they finally did get in the end zone. Carney kind of took the ball in the shotgun formation. I'm not sure if Florida State wasn't ready for that or they, or they just didn't have the numbers to kind of attack and get Carney down. But he was able to score a touchdown in the fourth quarter to help put Wake Forest back in the lead for a minute. And even despite having a depleted secondary, I still thought that Florida State pl- played pretty well. Uh, Holmes and Nasrin got ejected in the first quarter on the first possession on defense for having a targeting penalty, which I didn't think it was, it was, it was a bang-bang play. And it, me personally, I, w- I wouldn't have thrown targeting on that, especially when they didn't call Wake Forest for targeting later in the game for hitting Keith Gavin in the helmet-to-helmet situation. They didn't call that, but they called it against Florida State, so I found that really interesting. And also a couple of injuries as well. He uh, had Akeem Dent go down. He stayed in the game, but he went in and out a lot. Up front, Marvin Wilson went down for a period. He was in and out. There was a lot of injuries throughout the game on both uh, for Florida State. But the backups managed to keep the reps going, and they kind of managed to kind of keep control. There was a lot of young guys playing out there. There was Brendan Gant. He was out there. Akeem Dent, as I aforementioned, he was out there as well. Uh, Woody the Third, he was out there. <laughs> It was a lot of young players out there. I saw Jalen McRae got a couple snaps as well. So all in all, it was a lot of young athletes, a, young, a lot of young players, but they managed to hold on and keep the score within reach for Florida State throughout the game. Now, one of the things that really wasn't – it's been really polarized after the game, and it was a big impact as well, was the coaching decisions in that, especially the use of timeouts. So Florida State, they called a timeout early in the fourth quarter for a punt in which we were receiving the punt it was fourth and eight Wake Forest was on their own 20 or 30 yard line and they and we were receiving the punt but we had to call a timeout for whatever reason whether it was the formation or we, we didn't have enough we didn't substitute correctly I don't know what it was but we had to burn a timeout and that really had a huge impact later on in the game because in the fourth quarter when, after Wake Forest scored uh, we had we, we only we had two timeouts and when we were driving to get set up a field goal attempt we had to burn a timeout as well. so And th- with the second timeout, I personally don't have a problem with that. I get it. It's that, yes, you could have used that timeout. But if you weren't sure whether you're going to go for it or kick the field goal and you needed to discuss it before a delayed game penalty comes, you need to use the timeout. Could there be more organization beforehand? Yes, there could be. Maybe you should have a play already drawn up. Maybe you should already have your decision made. But sometimes you just don't know. And apparently Ricky yeah, I've seen him hit 50 yard field goals before. He hit, it, he hit one earlier this season. And honestly, if he was hitting all week in practice, I would have gone for the field goal as well. But it's just it's a tough situation. And but the thing is, before that, if you didn't have to burn that timeout earlier on the punt, then using one in that situation for the field goal wouldn't be nearly as bad. And that way you would have still at least a minute on the clock to have a set up another field goal attempt after forcing a three and out. And getting the ball back. So the first timeout is really the one I have an issue with. Everyone's focusing on the second timeout, but really the first one's was my problem. And also going away from the run game. I know uh, Cam Akers needs a rest, and thirty carries is a lot. It's, and he's already had a couple multi. He, does, he He's already had multiple thirty carry games this season. So you don't, you don't want to wear him out. And maybe that fumble was attributed to him being tired. But honestly, going away from the running game wasn't really a good thing in my opinion. I feel like Coach Bryles, he. He, ha- he would have a good flow and have, a, you know, Cam's getting six yards, five yards, ten yards, and then all of a sudden we're throwing two screens in a row and it's third long. Or all of a sudden, instead of it's second and four, and we could run it again and get a first down, but we throw and it ends up being third and four. So, in my opinion, continuing the ground game and using some using LaBorne more. If Acres is tired, LeBorn, get LeBorn in there. Just tell him, hey, if you can, bounce it, out, bounce it outside, but if not, just go straight, get two yards, and it'll be third and short, and we can go for it on fourth down. So overall, I feel like the, some of the coaching decisions didn't really help some of the players in certain situations, but I didn't think it was a terrible effort overall. I mean, the defense hung in there. They kept the score down to 22 points. Wake was averaging 39 points per game. People are forgetting that. Wake Forest was averaging close to 40 points per game, but we kept them to 22, so that was a good job. And then another issue, or another interesting up and down, was Tamari Terry. So he had four catches for 55 yards and one touchdown, but think about 36 of that came on that one long touchdown throw, so... The rest of his yardage was really pretty minimal. And he also had two drops in the game. And that's one of Terry's issues so far. I feel like he's a good big play receiver. And Blackman has missed him deep a good amount this season. But he needs to be better and more consistent. He needs to be more consistent in the intermediate to short passing game. So those slants, those quick throws, he's got to be able to bring those in and catch those. Because that one slant he dropped in, I think it was the second or first quarter, that could have been a touchdown. Because with his speed and his strength, if he breaks one tackle, he's going to the house. He kind of reminds me of Julio Jones on a slant. A lot of times, the Falcons will put him in the in the slot as a slot receiver and use him in a one on one matchup to get a good a good reception, and then he can use his speed and his skill to get away from the and his strength to get away from the defenders and score a touchdown. So if Terry can kind of master that, then that's really crucial. And some expect him to jump and go pro after this season. And honestly, he's so athletic, he really could. But if he can somehow be able to just Kind of be more consistent, then he'll raise his draft stock even more. If not, he may have to come back for another year, which would be great for Florida State. But I know personally, he'll probably want to try and go to the NFL and secure some money there. And then Ricky Aguayo, he's he missed a fifty-yard field goal. He was he honestly he had the strength to get it there. He had the distance. It was just a little bit off. So it's an unfortunate it came to that situation. But you are the kicker. That's your one job, and. Sometimes you have that clutch gene, and other times you don't. So Ricky, he, it was a decent attempt. It was just a little bit off, but he tried his best there. And now what, I wouldn't necessarily bench him because of that. I was more upset with him earlier in the season when he was missing easier field goals. A 50-yard field goal on the road in rainy conditions, that's kind of a hard attempt. But it's kind of, I still would have gone for that. And I, I mean, hopefully you don't end up in a fourth and six. but if he's hit it before, I would trust him to do it in the same way. Again, and then finally, I would say what I was most impressed with was the effort overall. So Florida State's had a very up-and-down season. They've lost a lot of close games, and the players could quit. And you might see it this weekend. You, you might see it the weekend after. You never know. But at least this weekend, they didn't quit. They didn't give up. The defense kept battling, even though there were certain calls that went against them. There were certain injuries in the secondary. And even up front, they still kept going. On offense, they were struggling a little bit, but they kept trying, which is good. Now, sometimes I feel like they can't help themselves because whether it's a K-Makers fumble, a Blackman incompletion or interception, a receiver dropping a ball, or a holding penalty, for some reason, Forest State can't really keep shooting themselves in the foot, but I can see that they're still trying. So that's, that's really all I can ask for at a certain point, and that's what you want expect to see. Because in previous seasons, even the year we won the Orange Bowl in 2016, the team had to sign contracts saying, hey, I will compete and I will play hard. Jimbo Fisher had to draw up contracts for all the players and make them sign that. At least you're not seeing that right now with Florida State. That's good. Coach Taggart, he's had some other struggles in various different areas, but at least when it comes to this, he's not struggling in getting in the, to bring forth an effort because they're trying at least. Now, are they trying the best ways? Maybe not. Maybe execution could be better, but it's all I can really ask for at a certain point is that you're trying and you're competing and you're not giving up. You're not seeing people lollygagging or jogging around. You're seeing sprinting. People are chasing down tackles. People are showing effort. And that's really all I can ask for. And we'll see what happens this week. Uh, We have Syracuse coming up and I have a preview episode with Andrew Gasham from the Daily Orange. So that'll be up later this week. But thank you for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe and use hashtag BelieveFSU on Twitter if you want your question answered on air. This has been the Believe in FSU podcast and I'm Chris Sharp. Thank you for tuning in. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts